Hey, welcome back to the Tigers Minor League Report Prospect Series we've been doing here. I'm Chris Brown. That's Rogelio Castillo there. we got Connor down there. And joining us today, it's our pleasure to have one of the Detroit Tigers' best prospects. He's one of their top-catching prospects. He's Josh Crouch. Josh, how are you doing today? How are you doing? Wonderful, sir. I appreciate the opportunity to be on here. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah. Yeah, and typically, we, we like to get a little better feeling for our guests. So if you have a an early baseball memory that you feel like sharing, it, 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 we always like to hear those. I would say an early, earliest baseball memory for me is we always had like a lot, a lot of kids growing up used to play little league. We had what's called Dixie youth, like ozone, similar, but different leagues, obviously. And growing up, we had like a, a homegrown team out of the big old town of Sebring, Florida, south of Lakeland. And we just, we played together for years and years and years. And we had several uh, we actually went to the world series four separate times won it twice came in second and third so just growing up coming from a small town being able to like we had some pretty good talent come out of our town as well as far as like producing some uh, division one talent and stuff like that but uh, yeah just from a very early age just being able to get in front of some bigger crowds and be able to compete it was it was pretty valuable but yeah I'd say that's the best early memory there's, there's an awful lot of talent down in Florida for baseball. It's, so yeah, I was, I was going to ask you, yeah, if, any, if you, you kept running and crossing paths with some of those kids as you got into high school and college <laughs> and, and pro ball. Yeah. It's actually funny you say that because I've, I've several times it happened once in the minors and then several times in college when I went to UCF, I had kids that would be like, cause I'd be catching and I'll talk to some of the hitters as they come up and they're like, Hey, did you used to pitch for that? Team Sebring way back when we were in Ozone. And I was like, yeah, that was us. They were like, bro, you guys killed us. And I was like, yeah, we were pretty good. But yeah. So that'll take us into your background a little bit. So tell us a little bit more about your amateur career, whether it's high school ball down in Florida. Yeah. You also committed to FIU, but then you ended up going to SCF, but then you also transferred to UCF. So run us through that yeah no for sure out of high school really wasn't recruited anywhere big always was because of the town i played in really didn't play for a big travel team until my last year i played for the scorpions out of orlando and uh, so really wasn't a real big guy about going to all the showcases and the tournaments and stuff like that and just ended up i was a third baseman then and i ended up getting an opportunity from fiu and i had a couple two other friends from Sebring as well, a pitcher and an outfielder that also had committed to FIU. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to hang out with my guys. And I, they were, those two kids were also on that World Series team that I grew up playing with. So I was like, all right, I'd love to go to college with these guys. And then interestingly enough, the senior year, they have like pro day workouts, uh, senior year of high school. And I was at a Dodgers workout as a third baseman. And, um, Scott Hennessy, I'd never forget it. He came up to me and he said, Hey, have you ever thought about catching? And I was like, absolutely not. No way have I ever thought about, thought about catching a baseball behind home plate. Like I do not want to be hit. And just cause like one of my really close friends on that team as well, like I just saw him grind out travel ball weekends, catch four games in a day. And I'm like, I do not want that life. Like just being exhausted, always down in the squat and, and uh, he was like, we got some gear here for you. And we want you to do some pop times and some drills and stuff like that. And I uh, ended up going out and doing it and doing really well. 
And then that basically kickstarted me to decommitting from FIU because I knew FIU had some upperclassmen catchers and really had no idea how to catch. So I didn't think I would want to just jump right into D1 baseball, not knowing how to do anything. And I ended up going over to Manatee for a workout. Got recommended to go there by one of my close friends. It's like, hey, you should contact Coach Hill, see if he has any openings for you. They actually, I wanted to go there as a third baseman, but they didn't have any room for me. And then follow back later, he found out that I was going to try and catch. And he's okay, we might have some room for you now. And ended up going there, doing well, committed. Just my first experience as a catcher at, at Manti was horrendous to say the least like 20 pass balls freshman year just ridiculous had no idea what i was doing because manatee obviously gets a lot of bigger time juco transfers over the break and stuff like that so i was catching guys throwing mid 90s and i just had no idea what to do with it basically i took that summer the pitching coach the pitching coach at manatee was donnie robinson pitched in the big leagues forever and he's real old school, school of hard knocks, like yelling at you in the middle of the game when you don't catch a ball correctly and stuff like that. He wore me out over the, over that freshman year. And that basically motivated me during the summer to get better and learn how to actually catch and go to a catching coach. And I was introduced to the Florida Collegiate League in Orlando and I coached Josh Montero there. Introduced me to a catching guy that worked there in the off seasons when he wasn't in pro ball and his name is Eddie Rodriguez. Last year, he was the big league catching coach for the Marlins. And now I believe he is the minor league field coordinator for the Mets. So he was out of the Orlando area, went, worked with him two, three times a week. He gave me a good baseline for receiving and stuff like that. And, and just how, how to be a catcher. And, and I'd always had decent hands from playing the infield, but never really knew how to relate it to catching and, and, and blocking was the hot, hardest part, obviously like trying to commit to I'm going to block this ball. It doesn't matter how bad it hurts. So that was, that was what I learned over that summer. And then going back into my sophomore year, got a lot better. Obviously I had to still improve on some things. And then, yeah, that led me into committing to UCS and got a lot better there over COVID years when I really took the big jump. We got the, I wasn't even the, was splitting time my first year, 2020 at UCF and then COVID hit and I went back. I was going to go to the Cape and ended up going back to the Florida Collegiate League that summer again and worked out with him a little bit more and just really honed in my game and got bigger and got stronger and knew my body some more and knew what I could handle. And, and then I ended up having a really successful year, putting everything together with the bat at UCF my COVID junior year. And that, that's basically the entryway of to where I'm at now. So it's interesting, by the way, guys, fun facts, Scott Hennessy, who scouted him, took over for Ryan Garko at double A, Tulsa. Yeah, Tulsa. Yeah. So it's, I thought that was really yeah. interesting how that all plays together. And I'm sure they exchanged notes when it came to perhaps even draft day and talks through that process. And, and were you yeah. at home waiting or just how that whole day go for you? No, I mean, it was draft day in general. I, like I said, obviously I, I. Age wasn't on my side with COVID year being my junior year and then having to come back again for that next year. But during that 2020 summer, I met a lot of my better friends now. Dylan Cruz, who's a big prospect in the upcoming draft this year for LSU, actually met him that summer through Josh Montero, who was the coach of that summer team and uh, ended up living at his house and got to know his family real well. They've done a lot for me. 
and uh, got to know him pretty well and ended up having my, my little draft party there at his house with just some family and some close friends and, and some coaches and stuff like that that were in the area. But as far as the draft goes, I really had no expectation of where to get drafted because I was getting ready to be 22 in December of that July draft. So I, like I said, age wasn't on my side, but I, I believe that I had the experiences I need to, to, to get me to where I was at. I, I knew I needed to learn how to catch and And the term that you, you need to be ready for pro ball is a real thing. Like getting into pro ball too early is, is definitely a thing. And I believe that everything happens for the right reason and COVID happening and me getting that last good year of, okay, this is, this is what showing up to the baseball field at the same time every day, like building a routine, like being mentally strong. Like those are some of the things that I learned that year that were able to set me up for some success later down the road in pro ball. But so, yeah, the draft process was wrecking. Like I, I, I was getting calls in the morning, like, Hey, you're going to go here. Then, Oh no, you're not going to go here. You're going to go in this round. You got a call from this guy, but they wanted this much money and we're not taking that. So I'm just like, Call me when we get an actual offer that we're going to take. That's because I was on the phone with my agent constantly. And uh, I was I was going to go, got a call like in the seventh round, but it wasn't for the money we were looking for. So he said, we're just going to wait till, we're going to wait till day three to where the slot resets and we're going to see what happens. And then I got a call in the morning and I was actually told I was going to be taken by another team. And then I heard my name on the TV and I was like, on the computer on MLB.com. And I was like, oh, wow, that's weird. And then RJ Burgess, the area scout for Central Florida, called me and is like, hey, you're Detroit Tiger. And I was like, wow. So Detroit was up there in the, in the top three teams that I had definitely, every guy is like a top three team that they would want to be with. And Detroit was like in my top three for sure. It's close to home, hour away from Sebring, spring training site where I'm from. So I was like, that would be super convenient. The parents could come watch a lot of games and stuff like that. So ended up working out. That's uh, yeah. That's why, man, every draft story we hear is, is I, I guess, except for the people who might go first overall, it always sounds like mm -hmm. kids get, like, they're getting four different phone calls and somebody said, Hey, we're going to take you. And then they yes. don't take you and they never call you back. And it's what, what the hell happened? Yes, absolutely. It's interesting you mentioned spring training because that was, I think it was spring training of this year was the first time I actually, I think I had seen you play and it was one of the games was on TV and it must've been like the seventh or eighth inning. And I'm like, oh, Josh Crouch is in. This is interesting. I remember them drafting him and you're, it was against the Yankees, I think. And the pitcher in there, I, yeah. I don't think he was a great prospect or anything like that, but he, but he threw what I would describe as a 40 grade breaking ball. I don't know. It wasn't a great breaking <laughs> ball, but, but you stayed back on it and drove it to right field for a double. And I just remember thinking, yeah. that's interesting. And I even, I clipped it and I put it yeah. online and I was like, oh, he even texted me when it happens. I was like that. Yeah. I just, I, something about it, it impressed me. And then, uh, then we didn't see you for about two months, I think, because they started yeah. you out in, in Lakeland Were you, but they were, you're only there for a week. What was that about? Were, were you surprised you were sent to Lakeland again? Or did they go, Hey, wait, this is wrong. Off to Westminster. No. No, no, absolutely. And it, just a quick little snippet of that story. Like that is that moment of me getting that hit. Like the hit was really cool, but the coolest part for me was, is I actually pinch hit for Miggy. Yeah. So I was like, he, he was getting ready to pack up the stuff and go to the clubhouse. And he was like, 
hey, good luck, bro, and tapped me on the butt and left. And I got a hit on that first pitch. And I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. <laughs> good shit for Mickey. Got a knock in a big league game. So that was, that was, that was a good memory. But yeah, no, starting out in Lakeland, that, like I said, I'm bought in on, on the, the term everything happens for a reason. So I think me being in Lakeland and me getting a kickstart on the season and going down there, getting my feet wet, getting, getting good with the bat, just catching, catching some below again and extension to spring training, like building some confidence, I would say is what jump started me into getting to West Michigan. Andrew Graham down there, one of my favorite coaches, big help to me in, in just what being a catcher every day looks like. Obviously he has experiences of his own that he shared with me all the time. And, and I'm, I'm grateful for the things that, that he helped me with. And yeah, by the time I, I got up to West Michigan, I felt definitely prepared for that level and, and the rest is history. Yeah. And, and we, we got a, a fair amount of games this year and we were actually in Lansing, I think when you hit your first home run of the season. Yeah. And I remember I, we, we were paying attention but I was like, Whoa, look at that. that, that that's pretty sweet. And so that, that's so much of what you hear about catchers is the defense and controlling the game and, and, and working with the pitchers and stuff. But your bat stood out to me first. Yeah. I was like, this, this kid really works the count. He's got a good idea of the strike zone. He doesn't expand much and he h- hits for some interesting pops. So I, I, I don't know if there's a question in there, but I'm just kind of curious about, did, did you always feel like your bat was ahead of your defense? Absolutely not. Like that was the, that was the thing that when I was at UCF, the defense for them had always trumped the offense because the start of the 2020 season, I was doing well defensively, but I didn't necessarily get off to a hot start that 2020 season and never obviously had the time to finish the season to see where I would have ended. But, um, yeah, that that twenty two or that next summer put in a lot of work offensively and just was like, I know where I need to be with catching. I know the drills that are gonna get me in the position that I'm in and that I've been in for the past year or so, but I really gotta figure out and for me, like I've been a no stride guy until this point. It was more of developing an approach. Like what pinches am I hunting and what counts? Like how are they attacking me? What does he have? How am I gonna use that to my advantage? And I feel like that is what is what helped me as also the mind of a catcher. Like I'm constantly thinking, what would I throw in this count? And then think the opposite way. Like just trying to think of in the mind of a pitcher, like if I was catching, what would I throw myself? And then think of something different, knowing that I can always react to what I would call. But yeah, it was, it was interesting and, and uh, still got a lot of work to do with the bat, obviously. But up until that point, I was pretty satisfied with, with where I was at. And the, the catching position is just so unique compared to the other positions. Like, there's so much more preparation involved. And obviously nowadays, it seems like the development curve is a little bit slower for catchers because they really want both sides of the ball to be strong when they get to pro ball. So speak us through what's like your daily preparation for catching and hitting for a day, like a game or a practice. Like, what do you do each day to get you yeah. ready for the game? So in the middle of the season, I'll just take you through what I did in West Michigan because when it got to the point when I was catching four or five games a week, I got in a pretty good routine of everything just day in and day out. I would, I would show up to the field every day at noon, and the first thing I would do is get the lineup of the other team and go straight into the pitching coach's office. And for me, it was Dino last year, and we would talk about Hey, cause the last night, the last night, usually it's on a, on a, excuse me, on a Monday, that's our off day. I would look like, here's the lineup. 
this is the report that they sent us. I would look at what they perceived as this is the header's weakness. This is the header's strength. This is who's starting this day. This is his weakness. This is his strength. And then I'd get on True Media, which is basically our analytic outlet for videos and stuff like that and find out like, hey, let me dive into some video here and see what does this guy's swing look like? How is it going to play against our arms? And I would talk about what I had seen with Dino because he had also done the same work and we would basically combine our ideas and come up with a, a scouting report. And then as the pitcher showed up, I would also go talk with him and see what he wanted to do. And we would both kind of think on it, think on it, think on it. I would write it, all handwrite it down off what I saw off a of video and what Dino says and stuff like that. They created like a little template for me that I would fill out every day. And uh, then just on the catching side, like I would have that meeting with the pitcher. And then as it got closer and closer to game time, the pitcher, if coordinators were in town, Brian Pena, the manager, Nick Brennison, he was at Bredesen, he was my, uh, my catching. He helped me with a lot of catching. He was our development coach last year. We would all talk. Nick and I would previously go over some catching analytics stuff like here. This is because last year we did some tinkering with some setups and, and, and some different stances for me. And as far as what they thought might be more beneficial and stuff like that. And uh, we talk about, okay, you got Brant Herter throwing a night, he throws a sinker, like this is maybe the setup you want to use, stuff like that. And then we would all go into this meeting together in Pena's office. And between what I wrote down on my paper and what Dino wrote down and what the pitcher wrote down, we'd basically have a big three-way conversation about, hey, this is what we need to do tonight. We're going to go out there and execute that plan. And then Pena and I would sit in the office for about five or 10 minutes afterwards and he would tell me like, hey, this is what we got to do tonight. This is this is the mentality that we need to take. If this happens, this is what we're going to do. And basically just talk about everything before it happened. And so that way we weren't unprepared. And just looking back, like from a catching perspective, the amount of experience that Pena had, just being able to look to a guy that's caught 10 plus years in the big leagues, like super respected. Like having a guy like that to look towards in the dugout is, was by far the most beneficial part of last year for me. Like he kept me not only over-prepared, but he also kept me accountable. There, don't think for a single second, if I didn't slip up, he wasn't immediately on me, like in my face, telling me like, this is what you need to do to get it to drive home in my head. This can, this cannot happen again. Like. This is going to happen one time and then we're going to have this conversation once and you're never going to forget it. And we're going to be like, that's the way it's going to go. And then on the other half, Nick with his just daily, daily accountability from a different angle, he's closer to my age. He speaks more my lingo, like, Hey, this is what we got to do tonight. These are the drills that we're going to do pregame. This is what we're going to do on the machine. Like, this is the approach you got to have. Like just, and he would be the guy that if Pena didn't have something, because he obviously has a lot of other stuff to talk about in the middle of the game. But if there was a problem in the middle of the game, Nick would be the first one to come up to talk to me in the dugouts. I'm sitting down there by the pitcher. Hey, let's try and make this adjustment this inning and see what happens. So between those two guys, they set me up for a very, very good year, learning not only a lot about myself, but how to work with the pitching staff, how to manage game game planning and game meetings. Just, I really learned a whole lot this year that I wasn't expecting to, but now I'm, I just feel so, so prepared because I know exactly these are the bullet points that I need to accomplish. These are the conversations I need to have with the coaching staff. 
with the pitchers, with my teammates. And, you know, it really contributes to a winning atmosphere, which is what we've experienced in, in high A and in double A where I was at for most of the year. Yeah, I'd say that that for me was the biggest part on the catching side. On the hitting side, I would similarly have the same thing, like constantly on true media, looking at my swings, like analyzing, is this what the pitcher is trying to do to me now? Because on true media, it has these heat maps and it shows basically like where I do my damage and stuff like that and where pitchers are trying to attack me where I don't do my damage. And uh, basically looking at that and then coming to the field and also having meetings with CJ Wansley, the hitting coach last year, being able to build my plan similarly like I did catching to to being a hitter as well helped me in in just knowing the biggest thing I could say I took from CJ is be the kind of hitter that the situation asks you to be. So never try and be like above the situation. If there's a guy on second base and no outs, get him to third. If there's a guy on third base, get him home. Like just playing simple baseball is what I learned most from CJ on top of just being a guy who's also on me about certain things like, hey, this is not going to play. You're sticking to this approach if we're thinking about hunting stuff up in the zone, like we're not swinging anything in the dirt. And that just being able to have constant accountability from every part of the coaching staff. And I know other players felt the exact same way because I'm close with a lot of people on that West Michigan team. I think that is what definitely helped contribute to our success that year. So, man, is it any wonder that that catchers always become managers? I, I just yeah, no. I think no. when I think about you, you talk about Andrew Graham, you talk about Pena, both manager or both catchers that became managers. AJ Hinch, yep. Just the amount of preparation that you were talking about there is is, is mind boggling. I don't think the average fan has any yep. idea. Meanwhile, the left fielder no. is just out there thinking about like their Fortnite build. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, that's I, important because we need him to catch that fly ball in the ninth. That's, that's true. <laughs> that's true. I, uh, I, I did want to share most of what I have to talk to you about is just little anecdotes from from during the season. And so an, another game we were we were out in West Michigan, and we were sitting with we were sitting with scouts from the Cardinals, I think, and there was an amateur scout from the Mariners who actually went to UCF. He was there at the same time you were, and he, he just couldn't stop talking about how much better he thought you were defensively, in, in within a year and a half. Than when he yeah. saw you in college, and then you you ripped off a one nine pop time or whatever, and everybody's like, all right, let's do this. But but the one interesting thing it was shortly thereafter, and and you may correct me if I'm wrong. I, I feel like you got hit by a pitch, and I thought it yeah. was on your hand or your wrist or something like that. Yeah, and, and and uh, and there were some not quite a Donnie Brook after that, but some some anger. I remember oh, the I don't know, benches cleared or, or what happened they there. Did. But they did no, it was. I'll tell you what that was. The reason I reacted that way was because I thought my season was over. Like I got hit with 97 in the hand. I didn't even see it coming. And obviously I saw it coming, but it, 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 it tailed up and into me. And I was like in that check swing kind of mode and it just drilled me right in the wrist. And I, I literally felt it hit my hand and I was like, my wrist was broken. And I was down on the ground and I kind of like peeled my batting glove off and I looked at my hand and it was like purple. And I was like, oh God. I was like, my season's over. So I stood up and when I stood up, I kind of like looked over the catcher's shoulder and the pitcher was staring at me. So the first thing out of my mind is like, why is he staring at me? He just hit me in the night and they're winning. So I kind of like blacked out for a minute and, and said what needed to be said and walked down the baseline. And then they obviously took me upstairs and I got an x-ray and stuff the rest of the day, the, the next day. But wow, that was, that was not fun. That was not fun because I felt the after effects of that pitch for probably a good month and a half after. 
yeah, I was gonna I was gonna ask you how that affected did that you find that affect your defense at all, your swing at all? Yes and no. Like obviously Sean McFarland and and the training staff there, they did a great job getting me ready for the game. And because, you know, when you get hit and stuff like that, it's it's just about being ready for the next game. So what can I do to get prepared for this game? And just being able to work with Sean and and there was a little point there where it really didn't affect me as much hitting as it did throwing because where I got hit on the wrist, like when I turned my wrist over to throw, there was a huge bump there from obviously the inflammation and it was hard to throw, but obviously I could still throw, but it just wasn't as normal as what it usually is. There was a little bit of fight that I had to get through that. But after a while, like doing like getting a tens unit on it before the game and then icing it every night and stuff like that and doing what I need to do to take care of the rehab process of it, I would say after a while, it kind of died down. But yeah, that wasn't, wasn't fun at all. I know Bryce Harper got hit in the hand and wrist area and he was out for a couple of months. So yeah, a couple guys in our org got hit in the hand last year. I know Kreidler was out for a while, got hit in the hand. Like the biggest thing I'd take away from that is like a lot of people talk about like the Evo shield, like you can wear too much of them, but they're like, oh, you're wearing too many Evo shields and stuff like that. You say that until you get hit in the hand with 97 and then you wish you had one on. You know what I'm saying? So it's now I'm going to be like the guy with one on my hand, one on my wrist, one on my ankle, because you never know, like it could literally be any pitch at any time is like what could shorten your season a little bit. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. Especially when you're turning your hand with the wrist like that. And if you take away that snap because your yeah. wrist is banged up, yep. it's going to make for a bad day. Yeah. As far as I was looking, how's your off season looking like in terms of when pitchers and catchers report your, wow, in 14 days, shit, that's, that's pretty yeah. awesome. Um, right around the corner. Yeah. Well, how's your off season preparation? Are you doing anything differently than you did previously? I'm in Lakeland now. I've been in Lakeland for about two weeks now. I've been lifting and and doing stuff here. I have, we had a, we had a catching camp two weeks ago, catching coordinator, all the catchers. And then there was some pitchers here as well. And it was like a pitch design camp slash catching camp. And we were here for five days. And then basically after we did that catching camp, I just continue to stay here the rest of the way. So I'm here Monday through Friday, lifting, doing defense, doing hitting, stuff like that. And then on the weekends, I'll go home to see my family. So, cause it's only an hour and a half drive away. So yeah, as far as the preparation, I would say it's, it's very similar, just in a different location. Last year, I was very much more based out of Orlando, just over at UCF doing stuff there, which I was there a little bit early in the off season, but after the new year, I decided I, I got tired of driving and sitting in traffic in Orlando. So I was like, I think I'm just going to come back home and, and come to Lakeland and get in a more convenient situation, like being really close to the complex and stuff like that. And obviously getting in the routine of waking up every morning at 630 and, and stuff like that and being to the field and, and getting a lift in and doing my catching work and, and doing the hitting routine and stuff like that. It's been a, it's been a good process. And I, I feel like in two weeks, I'm going to be more than ready to, to get it going. So. I was curious. This Somewhat of an additional question, but who's like your favorite guy to catch? Like, who do you feel like when you just throw down a signal, they're they're not shaking it no matter what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would say from from two different aspects. Like I have two different guys in mind. The guy to catch in game for me has been this past year because I caught him 
more or less 90% of his starts is Dylan Smith. Him and I, him and I have, we're, we're pretty close and I, great personality him and I have a lot of good talks between us. And, and I feel like just the conversations that we have off the field and kind of the friendship that we've built throughout the time since we got here in 2001, like. I feel like that pitcher catcher bond in the middle of the game, like it's a lot different when, and I, and I, this is the relationship I want, hope to establish with anyone I ever catch. Like when I walk out to the mound, like I want to know that I'm talking to someone that trusts me just as much as I trust them. Like I want to know that I'm talking to a friend. I want to know that like, it's not just a teammate that I talk to once a week. That's why it's important for me to like try and build, build a, and this is something I've I'm going to be a lot better at and continue to get better at last year. I believe it's really important building a relationship with the pitching staff. Like every, every person on that staff matters. And I feel like just as catchers in general, the, the addition of having a good relationship with the pitching staff only helps to better in-game performance because when something goes sideways in the middle of the game, and we all know that it will at some point, I can walk out to the mound and he knows that the person that's talking with him not only is prepared, but he also trusts because we hang out with each other during the week. And that's just, I feel some that Dylan and I have, have shared and he's had, had some good success thus far and, and looking for big things for him in the future. But I would say Dylan, as far as like a pitchability kind of guy can put it pretty much wherever he wants, has four pitches, adding a sinker this year. Like he's, he's. He's really fun to catch and, and fun to work with and excited for him. But as far as just like favorite guy to catch just because of how fascinating it is to watch, it's Elvis Alvarado. Like just to casually throw 102 mile an hour sinkers, it's just unbelievable. Like it's just a guaranteed broken bats every inning. It's been fun to see him progress, catching him a little bit. And obviously uh, him, actually was, him and I both started in Lakeland last year and then we both ended in Erie last year so it was a it was a pretty cool train Justin to see to see him and how he matured as a pitcher and and as far as like how he's attacking and basically it's just 102 right by you every time so <laughs> yeah. but just, yeah. just with nasty movement too man it's, just, yeah, it's yeah, ridiculous yeah but what, I mean in the strike throwing that suddenly yeah he's just like oh, I'll just throw a bunch of strikes now hey yeah exactly sweet. Yeah, you can't you can't hit it anyway. So here it is. Yeah, it, it kind of along those lines. I, I you got to catch a lot of prospects that Tigers fans have probably yeah. heard of, from mm -hmm. from Jackson Job to Wilmer Flores, Ty Madden, all those guys. But I'm curious if there are some other guys. Uh, there, there's some nasty arms in the system that I think a lot of people haven't really heard of, like Marco yeah. Jimenez or Ted Stuka or something like that. Is there is there anybody who like just some really wild stuff that you don't think people really understand? Oh, oh, for for me. Ted Stuka. Let's just talk about him for a minute. Like 94 to 96 from a sub angle. Like it's it catching him is is fascinating to me. Like I I know when he comes in the game, like I have to be locked in because just at any point that that sinker is just gonna bite like 20 inches and I have to be ready to go to get it. And and he's uh he's definitely the more the more you catch him and you get to know him and what he's trying to do. It becomes a little bit easier to catch, but I'm in, I remember the first time I ever caught him in Lakeland, that was like, I had never seen anything like that in my life. And I'm like, welcome to pro ball. Like you see something different every day. Yeah. I guess he's, he's so, also like six, eight, right. But he's six, eight and then dropping down and it's six, like, what? He's yeah. essential when he pitches. Yeah. The, especially. Yes, I saw him pitch in Lakeland. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. He's, he is, he would not be a fun at bat for me. <laughs> he would, yeah, I would probably not sling the bat because if I did, it would probably break. Yeah. And the, the last thing for me is, and you, you touched on it where the, the white caps were in the, the postseason hunt most of the season, at least down to down the final stretch, I think it came down to the yeah. day before the end of the season. And then I think you guys won, but the, the Lake County won as well. So it didn't matter. And then there's a rain out, but then you're up yeah, in Erie exactly. and you were part of a, a really big series against Richmond. And, and I, as I recall, you hit a pretty substantial or impactful yeah. home run yeah. in, in that series, yeah. but you're jumping in double a it's, it's an, it's, it's, it's advancement there. Did, did, Gabe Alvarez, like ever, did he come to you and go, listen, we love you. We, we believe in you, but we don't have time for you to figure out double A. (laughs) No, the mentality that I took when I had went up there is obviously I was like super blessed to be in that position. Like I wasn't expecting to get that call. Like I was really just trying to be where my feet were in West Michigan and let's get them to the playoffs. And then obviously when that was, when that was unable to to happen, because Lake County won. Pena, Pena said that they were calling me up there and and going there. I obviously knew that the staff that we were facing that next week in, in Richmond was from what now the coaching staff had said, a lot of the players had said, like between Kyle Harrison and some of the other guys that they had there, like they're some of the best pitchers in double A. So I, I knew like the experience that I was gonna have there was gonna be beneficial for me either way because to be honest with you, I would rather go and see what go up to double A, no matter the playing time that I got, like just to have the experience of not only the playoffs one, but two, just to see what the best pitching in double A looks like for me. I would much rather go up and see that kind of pitching than see a lower tiered team. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and see some, something similar to what I've seen in high A versus like real high quality big league stuff, which is what you see in, in Harrison and some of the other guys that they had. So I, I, I think it is a real positive in both directions is being in like a, a high intensity, like game situation, like a lot of, a lot riding on the games and stuff like that. But also from a developmental standpoint, like I got it shoved against me. I'm not going to lie a little bit. Like I had some success, hit some balls hard, obviously hit that home run, but like I, I knew from facing that team, like there were some adjustments that I needed to go into the off season to make because obviously in double A it's the next level. And it, it's a, it's a very guys at that level know how to exploit your weaknesses. And I feel like that's what exactly was happening to me a little bit. Like I was, I was not getting called up that next week. I was not saying sound to my approach that I had had in high A and I was expanding my zone a little bit and they were taking advantage of that obviously. But like I said, the preparation that I had had all year and then the learning experience at, to end the season in double A took me into this off season and knowing exactly what I needed to work on and how I'm going to get better at it and what I've trained all off season on. So obviously going into this next spring training, I'm going to feel a lot more prepared because I have experienced that situation and I'm thankful for that. Yeah, it was, was that the series where Naporti angered half of Richmond? Yeah. That's also another thing I was, he was at the, I saw him a couple of weeks ago and he, that was also another one of those situations. You see something new in baseball every day. And I had never seen that in my life. Guy hits a bomb, just absolutely stares it down and then sprints full speed around the bases. That's awesome. Everyone was just like, it was, it was, 
the most surreal experience for me because it's like everyone is like in awe that the fact that he just hit that ball 450 feet but then the next second you looked up around the bases to see him just sprinting as fast as he can so it's one minute you're like looking at the ball and the next minute you're dying laughing because you just cannot believe what happened but it's, yeah, yeah. it's gonna be funny too because you know you have Diego Racones who's on Richmond yes. now, part of the Tigers now, so it's gonna be a interesting conversation with you guys. Yeah, there. Yes, no doubt. <laughs> Josh, thank you again for taking the time to talk to us. Really appreciate it, and yeah. we look forward to seeing you out. Hopefully, hopefully at the start of the season in Erie, and and again your progression through the minors was impressive and something that last year when we saw you play. At, Lansing and Lansing's that strange band, like it's a band box. I don't know what it is about Lansing. Every time we go over there, it's just a ton of offense. And again, it was was really fun to watch you progress through the system and look forward to seeing you out there in the field. Hey, I really appreciate that. Thank you. Well, let me see here. Right.